All righty. It's kind of funny. Tim, Tim asked me several weeks ago, he says, I want you to do the October 5th and 12th. And last week I said, okay, I'm doing the next Beatitude, right? And he's like, you're next week? And I'm like, yeah. Oh, great. I get two weeks off. I said, that's what you asked me to do. This morning I get a text from him. He goes, you're preaching, right? <laughs> I thought about having somebody text him about 8.30, say, hey, you coming this morning? For the teacher's service. And we didn't get into that. But... Um, Guys, no, it's, 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 it's kind of the way we do things around here. Um, Tim is the guy you see up here most of the time. Uh, him and Alan and myself are the three elders, and uh, we even let Alan up here every once in a while. Um, I refer to Tim as the preacher and me as the talker. And I was speaking with Gina Law uh, during the teacher service or before the teacher service about our different styles of speaking. And I said, they tell, Tim tells me I'm a more of a conversationalist than a preacher, you know, it's more of a conversation, which I didn't understand, and she was explaining some of that to me, I go, oh, I didn't realize that, and then she was, we're talking, and she goes, and then there's the theologian, <laughs> speaking of Alan, who will get his chance to speak during this, and no, I mean, it's just the truth, guys, Alan spends a load of time digging deep into what God's Word has to say, and uh, he is the... Uh, the catalyst, if you will, for us pay, giving such attention to, to the Sermon on the Mount, uh, the way we are here on Sunday mornings, and the way we are in our, in our small groups, our discipleship groups. Uh, we're going through the book Living Jesus, uh, which is available in the bookstore if you're interested in that. And uh, it's just basically looking at uh, how do we live this Sermon on the Mount. And this Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 I refer to it as basic Christianity or as Christianity 101 or foundational Christianity. And my, my understanding of it is growing to where I believe everything else, but the majority of what Jesus had to say the rest of his life pointed all back to this. That it was just an explanation or a further, here let me give you a little more details about what I had to say back there. And... It all comes back to this, and it's amazing that we haven't given it more attention than what we have over the years, both individually as well as collectively. And guys, I'm excited about it, I am challenged by it, I am encouraged by it. And guys, I just want to, you know, it's, it is very neat to see God's word transform a person's life. Do you know that? It is exciting, and I don't know who you are right now. You may have been here at Greater Alton for years. You may uh, be visiting here for the first time. You may be a regular attender. Um, but I want to let you know that is what our desire is. Our desire is that we expose people to the Word of God, and it transforms their life. That they become different people, and specifically that they become more like Jesus. And guys, this is what we believe here at Greater Alton. We don't have a book of creed. We don't have a book of uh, rules. We don't have a, a list of beliefs or even of core beliefs. Uh, nothing like that's written down, but I can say with utter confidence, without consulting Tim or Alan, that we want to be a church that has the Word of God transform people's lives. That is what we want to see happen. We believe that when people look at what God has to say, 
and put their faith in it, that they trust it enough to take action, life gets a whole lot better. And we're not going to sit here and tell you, you know, you're going to get a good job and you're going to get a good car and you're going to get a new house. That ain't the way it works. Okay? That's not the way it works. Jesus never promised you those things. He just simply promised you, if you want happiness, you live your life the way I want you want it to. I, I say to live it. And that's what we're looking at here. These were his beginning teachings. And, and the first eight things that he taught are called the Beatitudes. They're in verses, I believe, 3 through 12. And we're on verse 6 today of, of Matthew 5. And the Beatitude is, uh, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. And that's a really simple verse that it's really easy to blow past. Let's get to the meat. You know, let's go get to the do's and the don'ts. Let's don't give this much attention. And guys, when we blow past this, following Jesus becomes a bunch of rules. I don't know how else to put that. When you miss the Beatitudes, and Jesus didn't call them that, but they are literally attitudes, okay, thought processes here. When you miss the attitude behind it, it becomes just a system of rules. And it's, it's heartless, and guys, it's meaningless, and you don't find God that way. You don't. And so, guys, we want to look at this. And I want to apologize for the notes real quick. I was real close. They're not as clear as I'd like to have them or as I'm used to having them. And I was telling Tom Tarantino, who does the website, I was telling him I was very tempted to just to put a, let you put a blank piece of paper in there today and uh, say, hey, if you hear something you want to remember, write it down. Hear a verse I mentioned, write it down, and uh, not to have anything in there. So I guess what I'm saying is if, if you don't follow it as clearly as what you're used to, as with what Tim used to have, don't worry about it. Uh, jot down what you have. And uh, I believe the Word of God works perfectly well without our notes. You know what I'm saying? And so we want to do that, and uh, we want to look at this. But we're guys, we're going to be talking about, uh, in Matthew chapter 5, verses, verses 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. And guys, when he says hunger and thirst, really he's really talking about, I mean, you want to put this into, into, a, into a, 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 a different way, a, a different translation, if you will, to say the same thing. It says, happy are those whose desire is to be close to God. Okay, that's what it is. Happy are those whose Desire, and I guess desire probably isn't a strong enough word when you talk about hunger and thirst. I believe most of us understand what it means to be hungry and thirsty, but I'm thinking that probably relatively few of us in this room really understand what it means to be hungry and thirsty. You know, in this country we don't have, there it exists, don't get me wrong, but for the majority of us to be really hungry, we don't understand it, guys. He's talking about a deep desire. He's talking about a craving. And whenever I think of a deep craving or a desire, I think of a song. I think of a song that's off the soundtrack for the Space Jam movie. Okay, and it's it's uh, it's it's a remake of an old song. You remember? Some of you you may don't have to admit it here. Okay, no raising your hands if you had the the uh, this album. But Cheech and Chong had a song called Basketball Jones. You remember that song? Well, on the Space Jam soundtrack, they remade that song. And amazingly, it was, this is humorous all by itself. You had Chris Rock, 
and Barry White doing the remake. And, and Chris Rock was doing an altered version of the original lyrics and ad-libbing along the way, it's fair to say. It was all clean, don't worry. Except for that... No, I'm going to go there. And then you had Barry White, who is this deep, you know, talk, and I can't even begin to do Barry White, you know, romantic music, mood music, you know. And then, and then Chris Rock starts his, starts, you know, doing the original lyrics, and then Barry White pipes in. And it's called Basketball Jones. And Jones is the term that's normally used for a, a drug addict with a craving for their drug. Okay, they're in need, and they're jonesing, is the way they refer to it. And so, Barry White starts out, and he says, Jones, an obsession, a burning desire, an undeniable passion or love for someone or something. And Chris Rock says, you want some chicken? <laughs> He's like, Chris Rock's the only one that can get away with that. But guys, he talks about this burning desire, this undeniable passion. And guys, that's what I believe Jesus is saying here when he talks about us having a hunger and thirst for righteousness. He's talking about us having this burning desire to be close to God. This burning desire to experience life the way God intends for it to be experienced. And he said, when you have that, guess what? You're going to get it filled. That craving is going to be fulfilled. That desire will be satisfied. And guys, that just excites me. And I, I just look at that, and I look, when I looked at this passage this week, I saw a few truths that Jesus was addressing about our cravings and about our desire. And guys, this is what we want. We, we want to look at this, and we want to talk about it, and then we'll, we'll go home and we'll watch the Rams beat the Eagles, okay? Okay. First thing, guys, the first thing that Jesus addresses here is that my desire determines my direction. My desire determines my direction. See, the truth is, everybody has something they are passionate about. Do you know that? Everybody has something that drives them. The Bible never speaks of, hey, you need to get some desire. The Bible speaks of, well, you have the wrong desire or you have the right desire. That's really what it does. And it talks about desires waging war within us. And uh, it, it's reminded me, you know, there's, 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 I had an employee several years ago that worked for me, a rather quiet individual. And he would, uh, he, in fact, he had the nickname, some, some customers referred to him as Lurch because he was a big, tall guy and he'd just stand there. You know, hand him the invoice and wouldn't say anything. And so they referred to him as Lurch. And that, there was a customer, there was a body shop that he went to all the time that we actually rented space from. And he was in there one day. And uh, I was asking him on the phone with the guy. And I asked Doug, I said, hey, how's, how's my guy doing? He goes, oh, he's doing fine. Good work. How do you get him to talk? And I said, well, I said, uh, I gave him a few of his hobbies. I said, talk about this and talk about this and see how that goes. I called him back. Two months later, we're talking on the phone. I said, hey, how'd that ever go? He says, how do I get him to shut up? <laughs> you see, guys, we all have something that we are passionate about that, 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 we, that we value. 
uh, Rick Warren, in one of his books that he wrote, he refers to it that we all have dominant life values. And I don't believe there's just one. I believe we, we have several of them, that, like, like my, my employee. I believe one of his dominant life values was, was emotional safety. You know, nobody was going to make fun of him if he didn't say nothing, or so he thought. Didn't realize they were calling him Lurch. You know, but if you don't talk, people have less to criticize about you. And I, I, from knowing the guy, I believe that's what it was. He, was, he valued emotional safety, so he, he didn't expose himself. Once he realized it was safe to talk to Doug about these things, he talked his brains out about the things he loved. And guys, we all have something like that that drives us. It may be financial security. It may be emotional safety. It may be a relationship. We value relationships above all else, and everything we're looking to do is, is filtered through that. You see, guys, but the, our desires determine our direction. There's a passage in your Bible in James chapter 4, and it says, this is what it says. It says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it from them. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong and you want only what gives you pleasure. See, guys, what's going on there is people are not getting along. People are fighting. And, and, and what God's telling them through, through, this, through the Apostle James is, listen, your desires are misguided. You want things that I don't want. You are after satisfying your pleasure. That's what it says there, there at the end. He says you want only what gives you pleasure. You see, pleasure can be a dominant life value, can it not? And it determines the direction of what you do. What does that mean? You avoid working because you want to go have fun. You spend your money not on responsible things, but on things that give you pleasure. That's what happens when you have the dominant life value of pleasure, when that's your desire. It drives your direction. And so, guys, I say this because as we go through this, I'm hoping you're going to be looking at what is my desire. Jesus never tells us to go... Here's a checklist to see what your wrong desires are. Jesus simply says, here's the right desire, now compare everything else to it. And guys, that's what we're doing here today. And I'm going to throw out some examples of, of, of wrong desires or how our wrong desires or even a good desire that's indulged too much can drive us in the wrong direction. But you have to understand that what you crave will direct your life. And that's what was going on here in the book of James. These people were heading in the wrong direction because that was the desires that were there. You see, guys, Jesus is, what Jesus is saying in Matthew 5 is that your, your dominant life value or your desire in life, your greatest desire, should be to be close to God. Now, that's easy to say, but guys, I, I just want to—I I want to challenge you to really examine—is that what it is? Because if you have a trouble doing the things you think God wants you to do, it's probably because this, you have other desires that are competing with it. Do you know that? 
That's what's happening. And you've got, you're trying to go in too many different directions all at the same time. You see, guys, my desires control my thoughts and my actions. That's what it is. I talk about dominant life values, and I've had several since I've come up with this. Uh, uh, I was exposed to the thought process by Rick Warren about dominant life values. I have seen what mine are. One of mine is comfort. I have a dominant life value of comfort. I have a do- other, another, another uh, dominant life value, which I'm not sure how to describe it, but I, I let fear dictate what I do. And I, I fear certain things, and one of them is, is failing in front of people. Okay, Failing when people see it. If I fail and nobody's around, no big deal, right? But if I fail when people are around, especially when they're men, older men, competent men who know what they're doing, who are skilled in, in, in doing things with their hands, fixing things, I feel like a loser. And so what happens in life, what does that mean? Well, that means I, look, I went for a job that I was comfortable doing, that I, that I wouldn't fail in front of people at. Well, what did that mean? That means I couldn't, I didn't find a job that would support a family until I was 31. I didn't, I couldn't earn enough living because I was, these dominant life values were controlling my thoughts, were controlling my actions, were controlling what I did. And what Jesus is saying is, guys, your dominant life value needs to be a desire to be close to God. The second thing, guys, second truth that Jesus addresses here, is that my desire determines my satisfaction or my happiness in life. You see, guys, we just talked about that everybody has a desire. Everybody has desires within them. And some of those desires aren't necessarily wrong. But we have desires. And here's the situation you have. In John chapter 4, and let me a little bit of background for this because I didn't put the whole chapter 4 in there. Jesus is at a well. He's wait, he sent his disciples away to get some food. He happens to be at a well to get some water. He doesn't have a way to draw any water. Uh, a Samaritan woman comes up. Samaritan woman was a half-breed of a Jew is the best way to put that. I won't give you all the details, but Jewish people uh, didn't talk to Samaritans. And they considered them dogs. You know, they saw a Samaritan coming at them, they'd walk on the opposite side of the road. That's the way it works. Jesus is sitting at the well. Samaritan woman comes up and, asks, and Jesus says, hey, can I have a drink of water? And she's just shocked that he's even speaking to her. And she even brings that up. I'm a Samaritan. Why are you even speaking to me? And he said, this is what he has to say. Beginning in verse 10, it says, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank it from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, I give the, and the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You see, guys, she's, he's talking to this woman, and this woman's talking about regular water, and Jesus is saying, oh, no, 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 no. 
I've got something that will make you satisfied and happy in life like nothing else. See, guys, your desire is going to determine that. You know, one of the things that we've heard over the years, I've heard this, I've heard, I've seen it in books, I've heard speakers talk about it, I've heard individuals talk about it. Where they're making, somebody's making a bad decision. By bad decision, I mean that they are, um, uh, they're, they're, a common example is somebody's about to leave their spouse for somebody else. And when you're talking to them, they'll say, well, I think God just wants me to be happy. And it's, it's tough to sit there and go, yeah, but I don't think he wants you to disobey him, you know, to make you happy. But guys, I just want to tell you, I do believe God wants you to be happy. I believe that is his desire. In fact, again, getting back to this whole Sermon on the Mount and... Uh, foundational Christianity. He starts out the sermon with these beatitudes, and he starts them out with the word "blessed." And the word "blessed" can just as easily be translated "happy." Did you know that? He gives you eight or ten things where he says, "Happy are these people when they're this way. Happy are these people. Happy are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Happy are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness." for they'll be filled. Happy are the poor in spirit, for they'll be satisfied. Guys, why, when you look at that, there's only one conclusion. Gee, God wants you to be happy. That may not be your definition of happiness, though. Did you know that? You see, it takes faith to trust what Jesus has to say. And faith that He can make you happier than you ever imagined. And that may mean you never get what you want. You see, guys, happiness is not a right to be demanded. It's a fruit. It's the fruit of a, of a life lived the way God wants you to live. That's what it is. You know, in America, we think it's a right. Jesus didn't say that. It's a fruit of a life lived the way God wants you to live. But you need to understand something. Your desires can prevent your happiness. You see, Jesus told a parable. He told it in, in Matthew 13 and in Mark 4 and, and Luke 8. Basically the same parable. And he talked about uh, the Word of God falling on four different kinds of soil and, and what happens on each of those kinds of soil. And one of the soil is thorny soil. And what he says is, you know, it lands on thorny soil, it grows up, but the thorns choke it out. And though it doesn't die, it never becomes fruitful. You know, it basically lives a very unsatisfying life. And this is what it says about that in Mark chapter 4. And it's talking about people who are this thorny soil. It says, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. And I loved it. You know, in, in each, I loved, I mentioned all three passages because all three passages in Luke and Matthew and Mark, Mention different details of this story. I don't know if Jesus told it on three different times, or each of them just left different things out. I don't know. But I, I picked this one specifically because it talks about the desires for other things. You know, guys, you can have a desire for a relationship. God says marriage is good. 
I mean, the first thing he said was bad was a man was going to be alone, and then he created marriage. Woman first, but... And, you know, in the book of Proverbs, it says a man that finds, finds, finds a wife finds what is good. But, you know, you can value that and value finding that relationship so much and place so much emphasis on it that it prevents you from experiencing life the way God wants to do it. It chokes out His Word in your life. And in the same way, you can push your spouse and your relationship on such a high pedestal that you prevent happiness in your own life. That's what it's saying, guys, is your desires are going to determine. That's why you have to pay attention to them. That's why you have to look. You have to look and see ultimately what it means is you've got to have the commitment. If you're going to have the happiness that God, that God plans, you've got to crave His righteousness so much that it trumps any other desire you have. It trumps it. What does that mean? Well, you know, I grew up a poor white kid and all. And I have three kids. And, you know, I'm one of them deals, well, oh, I want my kids to have everything I didn't have. I didn't say that, I thought that. And I wouldn't have said everything, but at the same time, I wanted them to experience life. I wanted them to experience the difficulties of life. And my wife and I, we've talked, and we actually sat down with the kids last week, and what we told them was, we've made life too easy on you. We have not expected, enough, and we've been changing that. Okay, we've been changing that. A common phrase in my, with, with Susan and I, when we're watching one of our children go through something, well, it's time for another life lesson. Okay, this is part, and we'll remind each other, this is part of the process. They need the difficulty here. You see, guys, I value providing for my family because that didn't happen for me growing up. I value my kids not wondering where their next meal's coming from or if there's going to be enough food or dad's going to make enough money to give mom grocery money when he comes home. I, I think that's a kind of important. But we, we, we took it too far. We gave them too much. And our kids aren't crazy. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. They, they all three are responding in different ways. You know, Jonathan kind of leads the way. It's kind of a neat deal. Um, two years ago, him and I, he worked with me several summers as a teenager, and we got to spend lots of time talking. And when he got out of high school, it was clear he made a decision. That he says, I want to grow up. I want to mature. I want to accept more responsibility. And it was very cool. Susan and I talked about, you know, we, when, we, when he goes to college, that we are, uh, you know, you can live at home. We'll pay room and tuition two years at Lewis and Clark, two years at SIU. You want to move out, that's on you. You want to eat somewhere else, that's on you. Uh, and we had talked about, how we would provide for gas. And it was very cool because Jonathan, he took it on himself. He'd worked all summer. He'd saved all his money. He says, I want to pay for my own gas. And he wants to feel that way. Now, this last summer, something happened. And he, in the first three summers, that's the way, or two summers, that's the way he went. He saved his money all summer, rationed it out over the school year. He worked a little bit, you know, figured out what he needed. It, it was very nice to see. Something happened this summer, though. He got mono. And I told him, I said, you just got permission to be lazy when he got mono. He didn't make, he didn't, didn't make squat. What does that mean? He didn't have a big bank account. What does that mean for his parents? We've got to sit and watch him. Well, we help him, don't get me wrong. 
Okay, we're not going to let him thumb his way to school. But guys, we see him going through a struggle. My desire is that he didn't have that struggle. I'm just being honest with you. That wasn't my plan. Another time earlier in the summer when he had mono, it was really funny. He He was changing tires from one of our cars to another of his cars in the hot sun. And a lug nut was stripped out. And he calls me up, and you can tell he's kind of finding a way out of this job. And I, I'm on this phone, and you know what I want to say? Sure, let's wait for a cooler day. Let's wait for a, a better weather. Let's wait till I can get up there. And I, I, I didn't do that. I pushed through it, pushed him through it. He got the job done. And the next day we find out he had mono. <laughs> I mean, it, it, was, it was a challenge. But guys, what, what was my point? My point is that you've got to recognize when your desire is preventing you from being what God wants you to be. My desire is that my kids don't experience things quite like that. That they don't have to go through that pain of growth. The only problem is God says that's how we grow. And guys, we've got to, we've got to examine and say, what, what is, what's going on with my desires? Because my desires will prevent can choke out God's happiness in my life. And you need, you need to be aware of that. Um, next thing, guys. Next truth is that my desire determines my God. And you may cross out determines and put reveals. Reveals my God. And I say that because it, that's a better word and I didn't come up with it quick enough. You remember I said my notes didn't communicate the way I wanted. There's a good example. My desires reveal my God. You see, we don't speak of it in today's world. We don't under, we don't look at, we don't think of us ourselves having, of having other gods because we don't have idols that we bow down to. Alright? That's when we think of people in the Old Testament, in the Bible, when they were worshiping other gods, we think of idolatry and they literally had a, a gold statue that they sacrificed to in a variety of ways. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> and, they, and they did these things. We don't see that anymore. But guys, that doesn't mean we don't have false gods. Do you know that? And our desires reveal who our God really is. You see, our desire for our children can make them a God. Or our desire for financial security can make our career a job, or money a God, or our desire for recognition or accomplishment can make our job a God. And so guys, you've got to examine, you've got to say, what, what, what am I desiring? Well, your desire will reveal uh, who your God is. You see, guys, we don't think about it. When we were saying earlier about we want to be a church that, that, that trusts God, a church that that has faith in what Jesus has to say and takes action on it. Faith in this country is something that is really minimized. I don't, I don't know how else to put that. <coughs> it's minimized in two ways. One is if you have real faith in God, you're criticized. Okay, and Jesus promised that, so don't be surprised. Number two is we don't acknowledge it when we have faith in something as, as idolatry. When we have faith in something, we can, we, can, we can be guilty of idolatry when we have faith in money to take care of us. And we hoard it. We can have faith in, 
in things that just are not real gods. Guys, and you look around, you see people have faith in all kinds of things. People have a lot more faith in our government than I think they should. And that sounds funny, but just listen to any politician. What's he saying? I'm going to give you what you want. I can fix all the problems. And that's what people expect. And that's why there's such turmoil in in this country, I believe, is because people look to the government instead of looking and taking care of themselves. Guys, we can trust in those things. I believe we trust in doctors and medicine. I was just talking to uh, Janet McBride. Janet checks on me. I had some health issues over the summer. And Janet checks on me every Sunday. How are you doing? Have you been to the doctor yet? You know, my doctor referred me to a specialist. Specialist says, I think this is nothing. And we were talking about it. And I said, you know, Janet, listen, I appreciate this, but I want to let you know I trust Jesus. She's like, I hope that doctor doesn't miss nothing. You know, I hope he's really right. And I appreciate the concern, Janet. But the truth is, do you know what they call doctors? What doctors do? They practice medicine. They practice medicine. And I said, I'm going to trust Jesus more than I want to talk to a guy that's practicing on me. And guys, you, you, you've got to see what your, your desires reveal who your real God is and what you're going to trust. Look at this in 1 Peter chapter 4. He says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in His body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. You see, guys, most of the things we worry about and we get worked up about, we're looking at them from a human perspective and we're not looking at them as, what's the will of God here? And when it is, it's it's showing what we trust instead of God. In James 4, this is what it says. It says, you adulterers, Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. And what he's saying, what's a friend of the world? You're trusting what the world has to offer more than you would trust God. That's it. That's it. Guys, the challenge there is is going to be, will I trust Jesus? Will I trust Jesus more than anything else and really make Him my God? Guys, the last truth I want to look, want to talk about, and this is very brief, so get ready, is that I choose my desire. That's one of the most, you guys, we have two, as followers of Jesus, we have two very powerful things. Let me me re-put this. As a human being, you have one very powerful tool at, at your disposal. You know what it is? the power to choose. Nobody can make you unhappy. Nobody can depress you. You have to choose those things. You have the power to choose what your desire is. You have the power to choose to trust Jesus. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have another very powerful thing, and that's the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Guys, you just need to understand, that's what Jesus wants you to trust. When you hunger and crave, you can choose that craving. 
you can choose that desire and it will help you put wrong desires in the right perspective. And that is your choice. So guys, as we close out today, I just want to ask you, what, what are you choosing? You know, we entitled it, the, I'll spare you, the title on your notes is wrong. The one on the screen was more right and the one on the website is right. And it's go, where are you headed? Where are you headed? You see, what you're craving, what you desire, what you're jonesing after is going to determine your direction. And guys, I'm, 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 I'm asking you, challenging you, begging you to make your dominant life craving to be close to God. Let's pray, shall we? Father, I, I am amazed at what you do. I'm, Father, I, 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 I'll start most of my prayers that way because it's just the truth. Father, I am in awe of what happens when a person trusts you. I'm in awe of how you work of what you make happen. I'm in awe of how you transform people from the inside through them trusting and obeying your word. I am amazed at that. Father, it's what keeps me speaking up here. It's what keeps me speaking into other people's lives. It's what keeps me, gives me purpose in life. And Father, right now, we're just talking about a very foundational thing here, about our main desire in life. And Father, I just want to pray. As we, as a room this size, I know there are desires all over the board. That there are people in this room that have good desires that are they're just overemphasized. There are people in this room that have bad desires that control them. And Father, I know you're not looking for perfection here. You're just looking for us to have the right direction. And so, Father, I just ask you to touch hearts and to touch our minds to choose. Father, no matter where a person's at today, maybe a person's going, man, I'm reaffirmed that I, I'm, that is my dominant life's craving. And I want to listen to Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. And I also want to continue on that way. And I'm going to reaffirm that choice right here, right now. Father, there's other people who may say, I don't. And I want to choose to. I want to choose to let that direct my life. To let my choice to crave closeness with God. To root out the wrong desires. To expose them and to cut them out. Father, you are awesome. And we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.